We're in Ephesians 3 again today, and we'll be next week. Um, I want to read for us verses 16 through 19. Ephesians 3, starting with verse 16. This is Paul writing to the Ephesians. I pray that out of his, God's, glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We have a house plant um, that is something something out of a science fiction movie, I think. Someone gave it to Karen, uh, this nice, shiny, dark green plant, and she watered it and took care of it, and, and it got bigger. So when it was in danger of becoming root-bound, she transplanted it into a bigger pot, and I think she might have transplanted it once again because it kept growing larger and larger, and now it's threatening to take over our house. Uh, she recently moved it into our bedroom with my help because it weighs about 100 pounds, and, and we put it next to my bed, and at night I dream that it's going to eat me. <laughs> Sometimes plants need to be transplanted to be healthy and strong. Sometimes people do too. In this passage, Paul talks about people being rooted in love and the good things that come out of that. Some people first took root in soil that had little love in it. It was highly acidic and full of selfishness. They grew up with selfish parents in selfish schools and around selfish friends, and they were poisoned by it. They can hardly be blamed for turning inward on themselves, but they can be transplanted into the rich soil of Christ's love. That's what happens when someone comes over to God's side through faith and in Jesus and is baptized into Christ. They are transplanted. The church becomes their family. And if it's a healthy church and there's plenty of love in the soil, they will, apart from some injury, they will grow. Being rooted, that's verse 17, is an agrarian image. Being established, as the NIV translates it, also verse 17, is a construction image. Paul for some reason, loves to mix those metaphors. He, he does it here. He does it in Colossians 2.7. He does it in 1 Corinthians 3.9, where he calls the Corinthian church both God's field and God's building. Being rooted implies life. A seed without life won't root. It'll only rot. Being established, or better, laying a foundation, that's what the word means, implies intention. And no human has to be involved in a plant taking root. Just ask the teams that pull weeds around the church, and they'll tell you. But a building's foundation doesn't just sprout from the ground. Laying it requires planning, intention, and effort. Both images, the agrarian and the, the construction image, have something important to teach us. In the first, we see the necessity of life. Have you ever heard of spirit photography? Spirit photography 
as it's called, is um, the people take pictures with special cameras and they think that they can capture in the picture spirits and ghosts. So let's say that's a real thing and you took a before and after picture of me with a spirit camera. Before God brought me to himself and after. The principal difference would be in the after picture, I would have life. That's the promise repeated throughout the Bible. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Son, Jesus says, gives life to whomever he chooses. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full and a hundred other verses. Life is powerful. It grows. It adapts. It changes. We can try to control it, but we can't create it. We can guide it, but we can't give it. It's not ours to give. It's God's. And because he gives it, we can take root in love, draw it into ourselves, and share it with others. The other image, the construction image, implies intention, effort, This is not about organic growth, but painstaking construction, building one block on another. Life grows like the seed in Jesus' story, which grew whether the farmer got up or not. But a building rises because the builders got up and they got to work. The farmer, Jesus says, doesn't understand how the seed grows, but the builders understand how the building rises, and they know it won't rise unless they get to work. Followers of Jesus need both to be rooted innately growing because of the life in them and to be founded and systematically built. There is on the one hand nothing they can do to create life and on the other things they must do to build a suitable home for that life. Notice that the rooting and the foundation laying are done in love. Love is the soil in which the growing seed is planted and upon which the rising building is founded. Things don't grow well in a desert, and a loveless life is a desert. But love is a garden where people grow fruitful and beautiful, and God wants the church to be that kind of garden. But the love comes from him. People not only grow beautiful in love, They grow strong. So that's the beginning of verse 18. People who are rooted and grounded in love are strong enough to weather life storms. They're stormproof and they're discerning. Paul's prayer is that they rooted and established in love may have power. Being loved is a prerequisite for a certain kind of power. Being unloved is an obstacle to it. Sometimes people wonder, why can't this guy just get, why isn't he strong enough to do what he needs to do? And very often the answer is because he's not rooted in love. The Greek word for power that Paul uses in verse 18 is not the usual one. This one has the idea of being strong enough to accomplish something. It's the word a Koine Greek speaker would use to say, for example, He's strong enough to do 100 push-ups. This is that word. But if that's the case, what is it that we're strong enough to do because we're rooted and established in love? We're strong enough, this is verse 18, to grasp the width and length and height 
and depth of the love of Christ. Some people simply are not strong enough to grasp, to comprehend the love of Christ. It just doesn't make sense to them. And beyond not making sense, they just can't get a handle on it. We tend to think that there are smart people and there are strong people. Smart people who comprehend things and strong people who get things done. The smart people wear glasses, they walk around with their noses in books, and they got beat up a lot when they were kids. And of course, it was the strong kids who beat them up. The kids who didn't wear glasses couldn't find a book if you put them in the Library of Congress. And if they did, they just hit the smart kids over the head with it. That is a false dichotomy, one the Bible doesn't support. Smart does not equal weak, and strong does not equal stupid. It's quite the opposite. There are things we will never grasp until we become strong, and one of them is Christ's love. That's why Paul asked God to give the Ephesians power to strengthen their grasp. This thing Paul wants people to be strong enough to grasp, this knowledge that will transform a life in all its dimensions, is the breadth and width and height and depth of Christ's love. Paul looks out as far as he can see, and he sees the love of Christ. He looks left and he looks right, and he can find no end to it. He looks up and it extends to the highest heavens. He looks down and it reaches beyond the grave. If you could travel to Z8 underscore GND underscore 5296.6, that's the most distant galaxy yet discovered, 13.8 billion light years away. And remember, just one light year is about 5.88 trillion miles. If you could travel there, you would find the love of Christ. If you could reach the deepest part of the ocean, the Challenger Deep, where the atmospheric pressure is 16,000 pounds per square inch. So get, to get an idea of that, imagine turning the Eiffel Tower upside down and resting the point on your toe. If you could go to the Challenger Deep, you would find the love of Christ there. What measure can we use to gauge the love of Christ? We measure breadth and width and height and depth in inches or yards. We measure objects in pounds and ounces. We measure time from nanoseconds. A nanosecond is a billionth of a second to millennia. But none of those units are sufficient to measure the love of Christ. The love of Christ for you and me. Perhaps other units of measurement are needed. What about the smoot? Do you know what the smoot is? Every MIT student knows the smoot. It's a unit of length equal to five feet, seven inches. It's named for Oliver Smoot, who was a fraternity pledge in 1958. Uh, they used him to measure the Harvard Bridge. They laid him down repeatedly, marked it with chalk, and found out that the bridge between Cambridge and, and Boston is 364.4 smoots and an ear long. <laughs> Google, you can go out on Google now, I, I did this, and uh, measure anything in smoots. For example, I am 1.134 smoots tall. But there are not enough smoots to measure the love of Christ. If you try to measure how long the love of Christ will last, you'll use unit of time. Um, you could use moments. 
You know, somebody says, hey, would you do this? And you say, in just a minute, just a moment. And, and when you say that, you think you're giving yourself a, a, a little wiggle room, but you're not. A moment is really quite precise. It was a medieval time uh, measurement, roughly equal to one and a half minutes. So next time you tell me just a moment, I'm going to be looking at my watch. <laughs> Put a billion moments into the equation, and you have not come close to the end of Christ's love. Put a billion millennia into the equations, and you're still no nearer. That is the love we must grasp. And only the strength that God provides can help us do that. Paul's request in this prayer is broken into three parts. You don't see it in English, but there are three infinitive verbs that follow the main the main verb. The first is that the Ephesian followers of Jesus would be given power to strengthen them. The second is that being so strengthened, Christ would settle down and make himself at home in their hearts, their command centers. The third is that being strengthened, they will be able, this is verse 18, to grasp the dimensions, height and depth and and breadth and width. And so, verse 19, and this is how I translate it, to know the knowledge surpassing. I'm sure Paul enjoyed writing that. To know the knowledge surpassing love of Christ. Now, before we go to the next part of this, we need to go back. Paul prays the Ephesians may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And so to know this love that surpasses knowledge, don't miss the words together with all the saints. That is not a throwaway phrase. We will not have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is in isolation from the saints. We need all the saints, really all the saints who have ever lived and ever will live, all God's own people, to get a handle on, to grasp the immensity of Christ's love. Even though we can never succeed in measuring or quantifying it, we can grasp it, we can know it experientially. And it is so important to know. But only in partnership with all God's other people. You know things that I don't know. You see things I haven't seen. Just as I know things that you don't know and have seen things you haven't seen. Only together can we get a handle on, to, can we grasp the unending, overwhelming love of Christ. Only in partnership with all Jesus' people does being filled to the fullness, the measure of all the fullness of God, become a possibility. No one ever accused the Apostle Paul of thinking small. What a goal, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. This is the goal to which Paul's prayer for the Ephesians has been leading all along. But pause a moment and ask, who is being filled to the fullness of God? Is it Michael or Abby, individual believers? I don't think so. The you here is plural, and in this case, I think that's significant. Paul is praying for the church of Jesus to be filled to all the fullness of God. He's praying that God will come to the living temple, remember at the end of chapter 2, just as he once came to Solomon's temple and fill it with his fullness. Fill it so that it becomes obvious that he's present in his church. 
This is not a prayer for Christians in isolation, but for Christians in the church. Don't forget that God wants to demonstrate, this was verse 10, to rulers and authorities his manifold wisdom through what? Individuals? No, through the church. The church that knows the knowledge-surpassing love of Christ, that has grasped and won't let go of that love, is a miracle on earth. The church that forgives, gives, protects, trusts, hopes, is a stunning alternative to what people live with day in and day out. The church that has grasped the love of Christ is both compelling evidence of God's wisdom and a persuasive advertisement to join his side. We can be that church. Let's be that church. A church that's fertile soil, rich in love, in which people get rooted and upon which they build their lives. Now, the biggest obstacle to becoming that church is you and me. It's the lovelessness that we ourselves bring into it. Many of us were not rooted in love but rather in fear and rejection and indifference and condemnation. And some of that stuff is still circling through us. We're upset when the church doesn't love us, but we're not doing a good job loving the church. It's a vicious cycle. When we don't love, we don't feel love. When we don't feel love, we don't love. So what can we do? We can start by praying for our church as Paul prayed for the Ephesians. How much we need to know changes everything. All the things we want to be happen because of this. How much we need to know this love and how essential it is that we pray for it. If you think it's going to happen when you don't pray, I think you're mistaken. If it were true, as a famous Christian once said, that God does nothing except an answer to prayer, would God be doing this? Are we praying for this? I think that great man exaggerated, but he exaggerated to make a point. God wants us to have a role in what he's doing, and prayer is a major component in that role. Let's pray for LCC and for all the church in Branch County. This prayer. Next, we can get active, not passive, about loving each other. We can call and encourage each other. Go out to lunch together, pray together, go on vacations together, serve together, share hobbies, share sorrows, drive each other to appointments, loan cars, give aid. In other words, we can bless each other and work for each other's good. St. John said, let us love, not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Just talking about love is not enough to enrich the soil. People who take root in mere talk are quickly uprooted. We need action. And it comes through us. And finally, we must learn to look beyond each other's imperfect love. We are also imperfect. 
The building isn't finished. We're not finished. And we need to draw on Jesus' perfect love. We will let each other down. Yes, we are being purified, but there's still a lot of impurities, and in some cases, poisons in our lives that haven't yet been refined out. The love we need is Jesus's. Through each other, yes, a thousand times, yes. But also straight from the source. Jesus's love is enough for you. Enough to fulfill you, to change you, enable you to love however anyone else acts. If you depend on them for your love, to give it back to them, you're in big trouble. But Jesus' love is enough. It will sustain you when no one else loves you. Jesus' love will not run out when you mess up. Jesus' love is enough. This past fall, Karen and I went for a late 40th anniversary celebration to Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe is the eighth deepest lake in the world, 1,645 feet. There's a really interesting story behind that. In the 1800s, two guys sounded the depth of Lake Tahoe accurately, 1,645 feet. And they did it in a fishing boat by tying a champagne bottle to a cord and lowering it all the way down to the bottom. And then 100-plus years later, with sonar and all that kind of stuff, we found out that they were right. <laughs> they had measured that. I have no idea how that could be, but they measured it right. That lake is so large that if it were tipped over, and by the way, that's the lake on the screen you've been seeing in the background. Uh, if it were tipped over, its contents would cover the entire state of California in 14 and a half inches of water. It could provide every person in the United States with 50 gallons of water per day for the next five years. Just one year's evaporation from Tahoe could supply Los Angeles enough water for five years. And Lake Tahoe is a small lake compared to Lake Superior, which is 120 times as large. Or the largest of all lakes, the Caspian Sea, which is 576 times as large. Your personal use of water could never exhaust the limits of Lake Tahoe, nor could your need for love ever exhaust Christ's limitless supply. Whatever you need, whatever you do, you can never exhaust Jesus' love. Sometimes, and maybe for you, this is the time. We need to be reminded of that. The supreme image of that love is Jesus on the cross. His head, crowned with thorns, points to the furthest reaches of heaven, the ZA-GND-5296.6 and beyond. His feet to the depths of the grave and beyond. His arms as far as the east is from the west. This is the measure of love. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Take root in that love and you flourish. Don't take root in it, and you rot. Build on it, and you're unshakable. Now let's pray.
Lord, strengthen us with power that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp what is the height and depth and width and breadth of the love of Christ and know the knowledge-surpassing love of Christ that we in this place might be filled to all the fullness of God. Make us a garden whose soil is rich in love. For Jesus' sake, amen.